morning's reading is taken from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. I think it's fair to say that most men, just generally speaking, do not enjoy shopping. And one reason is we know, ladies, that you will train us to simply ask what you want us to wear, and we'll obey accordingly. Right? And I've, I have grown content, happy with this arrangement. It makes life a lot more simple for me. So uh, that's why I'm a little embarrassed to say that I found myself doing some solitary shopping on a fall day about 10 years ago in the Chicagoland area. It was a nice strip mall, one of these outdoor malls, and it was 10 years ago, and I, for the life of me, I cannot remember, I was thinking this week, I can't remember why I was there, shopping by myself. All I know is that I was, and I'm assuming, and, and we can all hope that it was for a birthday for my wife, I can assume it was, um, but anywho, I'm there. And while I'm shopping, I grab some lunch. Sitting outside, I strike up a conversation with a guy across the way whose uh, name is Doug. Doug's a really good guy. He's in his late 20s, intelligent, and a minor league hockey player. In fact, Doug was from Canada. Yeah, sure. Yeah, wow, yes. Yes, the great Northland. Anywho, uh, we talk long enough that I ask him about his spiritual journey, what he thinks about God. He attended some churches when he was young. He talked about this, and, and we, he eventually brought up a friend of his from university who was a quote-unquote born-again Christian. I asked him, if, you know, did your friend explain to you what it means to be born again? Or did he, did he share his faith at all? And Doug replied, I can only remember him once sharing his faith, but he didn't really elaborate. He didn't really explain. Uh, he merely asked, hey man, uh, have you been saved by Jesus? And when Doug replied, uh, no, <laughs> his friend said, well, you know that Jesus died for your sins. And Doug, you know, said, okay, but I have questions. Questions like, like, what does that mean? What is sin? Why did a person have to uh, die for this? But, but his friend, who was a born-again Christian, could only answer, all I know, I'm just telling you, man, he died for you, and if you believe, you can be saved. And with that, Doug's friend never again brought up the subject. All of us likely can identify, at least generally speaking, with one of the two persons in this story. All right, Either the hockey player, Doug, or just in general, the friend who tried to share the good news with him but didn't really know how. So I want to first address, just briefly, those uh, like the friend. Who, who 
have already trusted this good news that Jesus brings. It's good news that Jesus died for sin. First of all, as we see in this passage here in 2 Corinthians, it says in verse 18 that you have a ministry. That Christ gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Bringing two parties together who were previously divided. Center S Community Church, believe it or not, is, an officially rec- is officially recognized by the Cayman Islands as a fully incorporated nonprofit church ministry. But God's word here reminds us that we as a church are in fact made up of multiple ministries recognized by God. So you have Craig Morgan, LLC. All right, you got Laura Anderton, Inc. All right, uh, the Thomas Bolas, Thomas here, International Ministry of Reconciliation. All right, all of these things, you might as well print up your business cards now. You have a true ministry recognized by God. What do you need to carry out this kind of ministry? Well, we find that out in verse 20, where we're also told that we are ambassadors. We have this role of being an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through us. An ambassador's role thus is, is pretty simple. Develop relationships and deliver news. Develop relationships and deliver news. They don't come up with new policies. An ambassador doesn't come up with new law. Develop relationships and they deliver news. What do you need to carry out your ministry then? For Paul, you need news. Develop relationships, news. You have to have a voice, as it said, God making an appeal through us. You've got to be able to speak. And he also used a stylus and parchment. All right, for us, it's a little different. It's hard to come by uh, papyrus or parchment today. So uh, for us, it's news, it's a voice, it's a, it's a pen, and a napkin. More on that in a moment. And you might be visiting this morning. Let me address those you might be visiting this morning, and you've been to church services. You may even have a friend who claimed to be a Christian, and that person may have even been very passionate about their faith and about Jesus but no one has actually sat down with you and shared this good news one-on-one. No one has actually explained to you one-on-one the good news that Jesus came to bring. It's also called the gospel. So those, those of us who have trusted Jesus need to be fully aware of this truth because I know many of you, like me, shy away from sharing Christ because we convince ourselves, oh, that person's already heard. Many a person like Doug, the hockey player, have not truly heard the good news clearly articulated, clearly presented. As historian Arnold Toynbee once said, most people have not rejected Christianity, but a caricature. Most people who walk around who maybe don't know Jesus haven't rejected the true Christianity, but just a mere caricature of it. A charade, an imitation. They've rejected Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Right? That version of Christianity. They've rejected the religious right. And that's their version of what they've seen as being Christianity. That's what they're rejecting. They've rejected what they remember as a child, the bits and the pieces of Christianity they remember as a kid. They've rejected that. Or maybe they've just rejected what they've seen characterized in the media and other outlets of what Christianity and who Christians are really about. All of these things, though, even though they're just 
poor imitations of the real thing are great entry points to make an appeal to someone, as Paul says here. You have a ministry. Rather than rely on past or current preachers, friends, relatives, you can ask, has anyone sat down with you? Friend, has anyone sat down with you one-on-one to share with you why Jesus' news is so good? So our goal this morning is to, it's kind of twofold, one, to learn how to communicate the good news of Jesus, and for some, to hear the good news of Jesus, clearly presented for the first time. This is an extension off our sermon in Colossians last week. Our sermon title this morning is Sharing Good News on Napkins. Now, I truly don't say, I don't say what I'm about to say, sort of, I'm a little sick, as you might be able to tell. I don't say this to toot my own horn, but I, I probably had an opportunity to share the gospel at least maybe 20, 25 times in my lifetime on napkins. And I bring this up for a reason. Let me tell you why. You may have a great book about Jesus. You may have a track. You may have like this really cool inspirational video or something from YouTube. You want to show this person a great worship song or whatever it might be. Thank you. But you're rarely going to be at a restaurant a pub, a coffee shop, with any of these things on your person. But these are the times at restaurants, pubs, coffee shops. These are the times and the places you meet pre-Christians. People who don't yet trust Jesus, but we're praying they will. Plus, you add to that, many people are turned off by it, sort of prefabricated uh, literature and that sort of thing. Like You know the feeling sometimes when you watch uh, some ladies or some guys dress really nicely, walk up to your door and you see something in their hand. And what are you thinking? You're thinking, run. Run like the wind. Find a bathroom or some covering to take shelter. <laughs> People are turned off by propaganda. But what restaurants, eateries, pubs, coffee shops all have are napkins. All you've got to supply is a pen. So on the way in this morning, you should have received a napkin and a pen. If you didn't, please go get one in the back. These napkins actually come fresh from places you might expect to share the good news. I got these napkins from places like Cafe Del Sol, Carlos and Martins, Paperman's Cafe, and of course, Chicken Chicken. All right, all these places, great places to share the good news. I'm going to, and what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to visually and audibly share with you the good news all right, and show you how to share it as well. So I want to encourage you, use your napkin, use your pen, you can follow along. And we're going to use this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as a helpful guide. Paul says, he starts out by saying, all of this, this whole idea of God and man being reconciled, it all comes from God, he says in verse 18. So who is God? Who is God? That's where we start. When you're sharing the good news with someone, start with the question, who is God? Because this whole Christianity thing begins and it ends with, with God. When we talk about grace, grace is amazing. But grace is this free gift that gives us access to God. Or it's a strength by which we can serve God. In other words, the end is always God. Or, or you think about, man, this Christianity thing is so great because of the people. But the reason it's 
you, you are attracted to people who are part of a church and part of a Christian movement is because we're all made in God's image with different spiritual gifts which collectively help resemble a fuller picture of our Father, a fuller picture of God. So all these things lead to God. He is the end of all great things in the Bible, in Christianity, and certainly in the good news. They reflect God. The good news begins and ends with God. Even when we start sharing the gospel, I want to encourage you, begin with God. And specifically, here are three things I like to begin with. Just briefly, it's going to help you later. God's love, God is love, God is perfect, and God is just. All right, so I, what I do is I start to draw on the right side of my napkin. Are right, you going to see up here? I draw God in this sort of cloud shape. I want to emphasize in drawing him as a cloud, <laughs> got a cloud shape, that he's totally other than us, totally other than you and me. Even his love is totally other than us. Where human love gives up, where it fails to persevere. God says in his word, I am God and not man. I am different, other than. So I like to draw him as he truly is. God is spirit. And what I also like to do, just kind of a side note, I, I like to use and jot down scripture along the way. And this does three things, friends. I, I really think this helps and that's why it helps to actually memorize God's words. It does three things to jot Scripture down along the way. Number one, assuming you don't use the napkin to wipe the cream from your latte, you can give that napkin later to them. You give it to them, and then they can go take that napkin and later look up those Scripture verses later that night. In fact, if, you, if they were to take the napkin and Google 1 John 4, 8, it will lead them to a reliable Bible translation, which they can then read. All they have to do is Google it. That's one thing. Number two, it gives them confidence when you use God's word in presenting the good news. It gives them confidence that you know what you're talking about. People want to know that you know what you're talking about. That People want to know that what you're saying is worth their attention, their time. And you can do this by assuring them that you are using more than just your words to communicate with them. This just isn't you talking. You know, and think about how our world is structured like that. So much of what we say that's opinionated is all speculation and it's kind of half-truths. But when you just share God's word straight and pure, what a powerful impact that is for people to see, man, this person's not just talking to me about what they think or what their opinion is. There's an authority to this. So using Scripture helps them be able to look up God's word later. It gives them confidence finally Scripture is powerful in the actual presentation. God's word says, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return up to heaven, right, condensation, without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, yielding seed for the sower, bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It doesn't return to me empty. In other words, God is saying, just as rain comes down and flowers come up and crops come up, just like my word, it works. No matter what, things grow. Because it's so powerful. So here's what I share. When I share who is God, I put the cloud shape up there. Well, here, this is who God is. God is love. And I write down 1 John 4.8 where we hear in God's word that God is love. You'll see that up there. you also see that 
God is perfect. So I write down in parentheses Matthew 5, 48, where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I like to use the word perfect versus holy because a lot of people who don't know Jesus don't know what the word holy is. All right, that's just a, a religious term to them. All right, but people know what perfection is. People know that feeling of wanting to be perfect or, or looking at other people who they think are perfect. People know that feeling. So I like to use that because I think like it's more what I would call seeker-sensible. Be perfect. And then the other thing, so God is love, God is perfect, God is just. Matthew 16, 27, where we hear Jesus say, God will repay each person according to what he has done. God is completely just, and we want justice, and this is important to lay out for later. And God will repay each person who knows everyone's thoughts, intentions, deeds. Getting back to the love. God is so loving. I, I like to come back to that. God is so loving. He is love. He's so loving that he wanted to share that love. And so he created us in his image, in his likeness, having all these characteristics like him so we could be in a loving relationship with him. And so that's when I draw over here, us. You know, you could draw hair if you want. <laughs> after you, after I put down us, we see next here in verse 19 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that there's a problem. Paul talks about Jesus not counting our trespasses against us. In other words, so we have who is God, but the next thing we've got to talk about is us and our big problem. We see that human beings have a big problem. We've decided to say no to God and to his ways. We see this from the time that we're born, that there's this big no in our heart. There's this desire to say, I want to do what I want to do. You, know, you see this with children. Right? That why else would they take their pumpkin and green bean Gerber mix and throw it at us? Right? Where, do they, where else would they learn that? They don't watch other children do it. Copy those children, right? They just, they just do it. No. And you experience the consequences of sin, often in your face. So, from the time we're born, we see there's this big no in our hearts. There's a desire to do, to do our own thing, go our own way. Sometimes we shape it in a nice way. We might say, oh, well, that's just self-expression. It's me being who I am. But if we know, most people know in their hearts they're just they're wanting to do what they want to do and forget everyone else. So that's when I share and write down Isaiah 53, 6, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. So I just write that down, Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each person turns to his own way. God has never sinned. So we go our own direction. Why couldn't God just, just why wouldn't he just, oh, I forgive you, I just rescue you. You're, you know what, okay, you messed up, no big deal. The problem with that is that God has never sinned. He's totally perfect, and because he is totally pure, perfect, and yet wants a relationship with us. The problem is our sin cannot come near his person. We are imperfect. But because he is perfect, he cannot be around sin or else he would just totally obliterate us by his greatness and his holiness. And that's why Romans 3.23, and that's the next thing I'll jot down. 
Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can get to where God is on their own. And so I draw a bridge between me and God, or us and God. After writing down Romans 3.23, I draw a little bridge that I'm standing, a little bridge beneath God. And there's this gap. Because none of us can get to God on our own. We think that we're pretty good, and that's, that's enough. Right? As long as we're living a pretty good life, God will I'll be cool with that. I once heard a pastor share a story about he was constructing the main auditorium of a church building, and it came time for a final inspection of this building. One of his staff members set up a spotlight, and he shined it into the rafters, up into the catwalk of this, this new building. And, above, and, and what happened was that a number of previously obscured imperfections became glaringly obvious, right? When you put the spotlight up there, like, oh boy, there's some problems. Well, in walked the construction people, and as soon as they saw that spotlight, they immediately said, whoa, 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 uh, we cannot examine the building with that spotlight here. They pulled out the contract, which specifically stated that the final inspection was to be done under normal room lighting. Immediately, that reminded me of God's great holiness, his perfection. Under normal lighting in our lives, uh, compared to others, compared to normal, even normal people, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. But despite our experience in this world. There is a God who created you, and he is perfect. And you will not be judged under normal room lighting, but in the light of God's holiness, his perfection. If we don't do anything about it, there's a consequence. And I, I, I talk about this with people as well. I say, look, man, the consequences I'm not doing anything about that separation from you and God. The consequence of sin that separates us from God is death. Eternal death. Separation from God. So I write down Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the natural payout for sin is death. The wages you have earned in your life is unfortunately it's death because you can't be perfect. And we do all kinds of things to try to bridge this chasm, right? We, we're kind to others. Maybe it's charity. We go to church, we, we're, we're faithful in our marriages or to our kids, and we do good things. But, friends, that is what we call religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's success in reaching man. And that's where, though, we're at this point in the story where the good news comes in. That God has a rescue plan. So we've asked the question, who is God? Us and our big problem. But God has a rescue plan. Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians. For our sake, the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who never committed a sin. God made him to be like sin, as sin. God is love. He loves us, and so he had a plan in mind to rescue us from certain and deserved death. You know, someone reminded me this week a a very true point that everything costs something. 
Right? Even, a, even a brief good deed costs time. Right? Even showing mercy or forgiveness to someone costs a little bit of your pride or your sense of self-worth. Everything we do costs something. The same is true of God's rescue plan. God couldn't just say, oh, I forgive you. Because there's a truth in this universe that we all know from being made in God's image that everything costs something. God is just. He is just. And we want his justice. We see terrible acts of atrocities committed in third world countries. We've experienced pain and heartache in our own life. We want justice. And we can't say, well, you know, that's different than the justice we experience. Oh, yeah, where is that line then? Who are we to determine where is the line between what's, you know, kind of unfair but not unjust? There is no clear line. There was never meant to be. He couldn't just forgive us. He is just, and so somebody had to pay. Someone who was like us, someone who lived on this earth like us, who experienced the same things we experienced, the opportunity to sin, to, to fail, to mess up but is not already guilty. And that's when you can share 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so we might become right with God. Write that down. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God put sin on someone who never knew sin so we might be right eternally with God, have his righteousness Jesus neither committed sin or had sin in his nature, but he takes on the guilt, the consequence of sin on our behalf. On the cross, he experiences punishment for that sin. He experienced a just punishment in the form of the wrath of God for the sin of all mankind. Total separation from God the Father for the first time in his entire existence. But, He rises from the dead. He pays that penalty. He rises from the dead. And so he shows that he has defeated this death forever and can offer this forever forgiveness. This gets to my next point. So we've gotten to what's God's rescue plan. Now, what does that rescue plan accomplish? We hear here here in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that God was reconciling through Christ the world to himself, that in him we become right with God. So this rescue plan accomplishes one of three things. You can mention all or, or any of these. One, it gives you a new relationship with God. God is the end of the gospel. We can know and be with the God of eternity and for all eternity. He gives you Christ's righteousness. Because we don't have that perfection, because we can't claim that before God, he says, I'm going to give you what Jesus has. That's complete and perfect righteousness which allows you to enter into God's presence both now and forever. And it's that presence, friends, that we were created for. As St. Augustine once prayed, he said, he prayed, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. So you get a new relationship with God, you get a new start, total, permanent, forever forgiveness that burden that you have carried around with you completely taken away because of what Jesus did. It also gives you a new person. You become a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you could write that down. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone has trusted Christ, he's a new creation. 
The old has gone and something new has come. A new person. And it's totally amazing. Jesus doesn't take away your personality, but he takes those parts of your personality and infuses them with life by the Spirit and uses them for his glory. It is an amazing thing. Jesus himself says, the Father and I want to come in you. We want to make our home in you. So he gives us the Holy Spirit, God inside you, to change you from the inside out. Amazing. Friend, you can have God inside of you. So we shared these four things. Who's God? Us and our big problem. God's rescue plan. And what does that rescue plan actually do? Finally, how to make this good news good for you. How you can make this good news good for you. The Bible makes it crystal clear that a personal response is necessary to know God forever. And it comes in the form of trusting your life to Jesus. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and trusts that him who sent me has given eternal life, that person has crossed from death to life. That's why I love this bridge analogy. If you've trusted in Jesus, you cross from death over to life. I like to write down John 5.24. And what specifically are we trusting about Jesus? Number one, that he is God. That he's, as I tell our kids, he's the boss of the universe in my life. Number two, that he forever forgives. He can forever forgive that which separates you from God. In fact, I make it really clear. I make sure to emphasize and reemphasize at the end of presenting it's good news to someone. If you remember one thing, if you remember one thing, take away one thing, remember there's only one requirement for knowing God and for living for him, and it's trust. I even, kind of in a semi-charming, probably annoying way, like to say, I tell people later, like, what's the one requirement for knowing Jesus? For knowing God? I'll even ask them that later. Trust. People will tell you it's all kinds of things. It's being a good person, it's trusting Jesus plus doing this and going to this kind of church and having this spiritual gift. And let me give you some additional tips. First, don't give a speech. People want to talk with you, not be talked at by you. I know I'm kind of contradicting that through a sermon. <laughs> I have no choice. Listen to questions. In fact, make sure you're asking questions of the person along the way. If they look confused, ask if you can clarify something or so don't give a speech. Number two, another tip, give it in doses. All right? Um, know when to stop. Don't overload the person with information. You may have noticed, noticed I didn't get in a lot to sinful nature. I didn't get a lot into a lot between the relationship between trusting Jesus and then living an obedient life and how to do that. You've got to know when to stop. Number three, God's will, God's presence. Remember, you are in God's will. If you are sharing the good news with somebody else, you are doing God's will as expressed here in 2 Corinthians 5 because you are an, being an ambassador. You're ambassadoring. I just made up that as a verb. All right, you're ambassadoring. So you can be confident you're in God's will. Man, God is present as you are sharing in a powerful way. God's will, God's presence. Finally, number four, an additional tip, follow up with that person. If they show interest, Maybe ask them to do a Bible study in the Gospel of Mark or Gospel of John. I have some resources for you if you need that. 
to help go through a study like that with someone. Some great resources for that. Sit down. Give up some of your life so that person might be given Jesus. Invite them to church, especially if a church does a good job of welcoming people new to the faith. Notice this wasn't, uh, inviting them to church is usually not the first step in sharing the good news with them, like we talked about last week. Paul doesn't uh, outsource his personal responsibility to share Jesus with someone one-on-one. But it is a part of it. Invite them along. Help them talk to other Christians. Hear good preaching, teaching. Because there's a lot of confusion. I talked to a um, brother-in-law this week who had, he's like, you know, I just read the Bible, but I have a lot of questions, and he lives out in San Diego, and Honestly, one thing you should do is go to church and just hear people explain God's word and how they're reading through it and how they're applying it to their life. One of the interesting things Paul says here that we haven't talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, he says in verse 20, we implore you, myself and the apostles, we implore you to be reconciled to God. Now this statement's kind of strange because he says this while training apparent Christians and how they can share the good news with others. Right? He's actually writing here to a church of people. And yet he's imploring them, be reconciled to God, you church. Because the reality is, just like them, you might be listening today and have not trusted your life to Jesus, and you need to be reconciled to God. In fact, we encounter this issue constantly when wanting to share the good news with someone else. Namely, they say they're a Christian, but you wonder because they've wandered. You know what I mean? You look at their lifestyle, you're like, you don't say anything out loud, you don't gossip about them, but you're thinking, oh man, I don't know. You wonder because they've wandered. I remember a couple years ago having lunch with a friend, and we were talking about this issue, and they brought up uh, Katy Perry as an example. Uh, Now, if you're in your 30s, and uh, you have, especially if you have children, you've reached a critical juncture in, in your life when it comes to pop culture. What I mean is that critical juncture is you've ta- you're taking a descent from the peak of knowing about pop culture. All right, I realize this when having this conversation with a friend, that this just happens. You can't avoid it. It starts with find, not finding out till the weekend who Kim Kardashian is dating. Then you use labels like young and up and coming for actresses like Winona Ryder. No. She's not, I mean, I, I love Winona Ryder. I, she's great, but, you know, I, she's not young and up and coming anymore. I don't understand. You know, when friends talk about angry birds, you just think they're talking about ching chings. You know, like descending upon your head to use it as a nest in your hair. I hate those things. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Some of you know the feeling. When my friend brought up Katy Perry having lunch this day, I, all I knew is that I've heard that name. I think she's famous. I think she's a singer. But anywho, he, he was bringing her up as an example, saying that she used to be an avid churchgoer, a self-proclaimed Christian. She sang in her church choir, and, and now she's married to this very outspoken agnostic and seems to be following Christ. And we were just asking the question, how does someone go from from that to that life of following Jesus or seemingly doing that to a life of outright rebellion towards God. I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. How does that happen? When we stop caring about and meditating on the good news that I just laid out. When we personally 
even as Christians, stop caring about and meditating on every day the good news I just laid out. The mentality is, friends, if you have walked in church for a while or tried to walk with Jesus for a while, the good news was once for me, but now it's just for others. That thing was once for me, it once saved me, now it's for others. And that is a lie from the pit of Sheol. Martin Luther used to say that our hearts are our, the default mode for our hearts is do-it-yourself religion. He said the default mode for our hearts is do-it-yourself religion. That is, I do good deeds on my own strength in order to make up for the bad ones I did so that somehow I might gain favor with God. Like, left to ourselves, that's where our hearts go to. And that's why it's so important to meditate on and consider the good news. If you're left to yourself, left to myself without meditating on the gospel, the good news every day of my life, I want to try to do the Christian life on my own. And it becomes all about me. And, and so in fame, in the case of Katy Perry, or, or power, or greed, or anger, or pride, but also hopelessness and, and despair, come by for a visit, we welcome them with open arms. If you're like me, and you know and you love Jesus, I want to implore you too to remember the best person on whom to practice sharing the good news is myself. 